Hi there. I'm Laura Nyasita Ondari, and this is the Science in Real Life podcast. I'm a bioinformatician with a background in medical biochemistry. And on this podcast, I bring you the inside scoop of the reality of a STEM career from candid conversations with individuals in the field. I hope you enjoy it and let's get right into today's episode. So just going to welcome our listeners to episode nine. We're almost at the end of season one of the Science in Real Life podcast. Oh, what a roller coaster. I am glad to be joined by Hampton today. Hampton, go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience. Um, yes. Yeah, so my, my name is Hampton, Hampton Macharia. I am a huge fan of science and mathematics and the application of science, mathematics, and engineering in real life and how you can use all the um, concepts about your day-to-day so quite interesting for me i am also an engineer by profession and i have worked in e-mobility in kenya for some time now nice you just mind uh expounding a bit on what e-mobility is in case there's anyone who's listening and might not have quite an idea so e-mobility is essentially electric mobility so being able to move people from point a to point b using electric vehicles um yeah essentially electric electric vehicles of different types so we have different ideas and sectors within mobility we have immobility mass transit within mobility we have uh, private transport and personal vehicles in mobility. We also have what we call micro mobility, which is the border borders and uh, tuks that we use for delivery services and things like that. So all the things, even tracking, um, can be electrified. And when they're electrified, that is. Ah, nice. I, I didn't know it was quite like. On the ground like that in Kenya, considering sometimes we do have issues with power. But like, how is the electricity generated? Uh, in this case, is it solar or the normal way we have our electric from hydro? Is it hydro? Is it hydroelectricity? Yeah. <laughs> is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh-huh. majority of power in Kenya, I'm not so sure about this, but uh-huh. as it's named the two major sources, is hydro and geothermal. So a lot of our power is green um, in that it comes from hydro and geothermal. We also have a bit of wind capacity and also a bit of thermal or what we call um, fossil fuels. So all the power production means are within the grid and whenever you're charging your vehicle from the grid, you're using one of these many sources of Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You are the first engineer we've had on our podcast thus far. <laughs> yeah. You weren't telling yeah. us <laughs> you weren't telling us where your uh I don't know, love for electronic engineering or just engineering in general began. Um, I knew I wanted to be an engineer for as long as I could remember. 
For back real? in yeah yeah I just shifted from engineering discipline to another engineering discipline but I think since I was like five years old I knew I wanted to be an engineer um, we had the graduation ceremonies for like preschool and I remember saying when I grow up I want to be an engineer and it's been a dream things um mechanical engineering aeronautical engineering mechatronics engineering at different stages in my life I've always been fascinated by different types of engineering and I tried to do as many subjects as I could I tried to align my studies towards engineering and finally I got into an engineering program in Jacot. Okay, uh, is there anything that really sparked your curiosity with like the engineering uh considering you said you wanted to do it as long as as you can remember but like what what created the for lack of a better word just no that's not lack of a better word what sparked your curiosity in engineering? I hear um there most kids usually say oh I saw my dad opening the back of a TV sets and I was like this is what I want to do and they ended up somewhere working with codes and whatnot or someone else maybe you know the, the normal stories we hear <laughs> from children and how they they get into the different careers they're in so what was yours my what sparked I think my interest is just my fascination with how machines work I bullet loved cars from when I was young uh, and I was fascinated by how they they work uh, from the engines to the transmission and gearbox I really wanted to learn how they work and why they work my fascination with cars I kind of satiated it when I started knowing more about engines this is back in primary schools but it it did not seem fascinating enough just for cars by certain being fascinated with aeroplane and at that time as I was saying before I've had different times in my life where I wanted to be different types do different types of engineering so at that moment I was fascinated with aeronautical engineering seemed really really fascinating um but my major fascination with all of the types of engineering has never been to just be an engineer who works with these things. It's always been a, be an engineer who makes these things, who designs these kinds of systems. And yeah, that's that's my one of the, my fascination points. Um, in that, um, I'm fascinated with creating the world that we will live in in the future, essentially. I think that's also something that we also hear in bioinformatics, people who create the software and people who use the software. While me, I am still in the part of people who use it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, they're, of course, they're equally important, but yeah. that's the, the kind of uh, difference that we see. Uh, so uh, I, I was just looking through your LinkedIn profile, which is, actually very impressive and i could see like in four years you've been able to go from a tech bench intern to a senior electronic engineer how yes. has that journey been like um 
it's been it's been a very good journey and it's been a relatively short journey and and mm-hmm. um there's a lot of things that I've learned from coming in as an intern and getting to to where I am right now um most of the learning I've learned a lot of technical stuff let's not um even like diminish the importance of that but majority of my learning out of being on how to create value for people you know ultimately the reason why we are employed to do what we do is about creating value for people engineering is also about creating value for people you spoke about people who use the software versus people who design the software both of them are creating value for people it's just different people right those who design the software are creating a lot of value don't get me wrong on that or those who use the software but those who use the software are creating maybe a lot of value for the general public all these groups are creating value and i think that's one of the major things that i've learned about it is this how do you create value for people and value for different people look differently one thing that we try as much as possible as engineers to make sure we get right is not building things for engineers because most users are not engineers but we as engineers we like the flashiest cars we like the things with the best specs and i, I don't know if you've ever heard of engineers talking about like laptops yeah and you are on a laptop with i don't know tx what and and, and Nvidia graphic card and all those things yeah well uh, as we just went you know a black laptop that's functional that has no yes. noise you know but then yes. when, when you get there that's right yeah Uh-huh. So um also la- I've also learned a lot about how to create value for the average user not just for the end user but also the average user and how to translate that from a value statement to an engineering choice or an engineering decision uh-huh. so that some of my greatest learnings and yeah it's been a it's been an amazing journey I don't know how the journey will go on well um yeah yes to be seen the people typically grow that fast in engineering fields because um in science to go from an yeah. intern to someone that has a prefix of senior could take yeah. you know a good 10 20 30 40 years so how come like yours was a bit shorter than okay not even a bit way shorter than that <laughs> so for for engineering first of all um graphics of senior is is based on company to company so different yeah. companies have different definitions of what a senior engineer looks like um there is a lot of growth in some co- companies above senior so you have things like principal engineer or expert and you can still move much higher than senior it's not usually that fast uh that kind of growth and one thing that sometimes helps is domain specific knowledge not just um general like knowledge like if you work 
in a company that makes Toyotas, if you know how to design and how the entire Toyota ecosystem works, you are likely to easily become senior than someone who has worked in Nissan and is coming into Toyota from Nissan. So those are the things that I think helps me a bit uh, get into senior. Okay. Actually, that, that does make a lot of sense. I guess probably the, the difference is because in, in like biological or like more science fields, the titles are a bit streamlined. So if someone is senior here and they're senior there, you might, you can assume that their credentials and qualifications are matchable because there's a standardized way of looking at that. But then now yeah. looking back, um, how has your typical day changed from when you were, you know, uh, as an intern, let's say, or as you were growing to this field, comparing a typical day now and a typical day then? Yeah, a significant increase in the number of meetings. So there's that. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so a lot more meetings, a lot more planning, and a lot less, um, a lot more interruptibility. So if something is not working, best believe someone might call you. When you're an intern, you spend much more time doing your own things or doing tasks that you've been assigned at certain levels. You spend a significant amount of time solving problems and solving issues uh, that come up in the system. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, we, of course, we would not talk about you now being a senior engineer. If yeah. We can also talk about um, the way you got in there. And this is usually such a pain point for most graduates <laughs> in Kenya. The process of looking for a job, finding one, securing one, or like, you know, just having credentials too much. So for you, what are the, like, what are some of the things that set you apart? And in that journey of looking for employment, um, how did you find it? Um, I knew about the company, so I had read up on the company, gone to the website done the whole thing and I had I had a list of companies that I wanted to intern for for my last internship that in my fourth year internship so I had a list of companies I remember Rome was one of them another one was I think Google Network and a few others that I can't remember these companies had certain criteria one of the criteria that I use is they need to be a small company um, because I really wanted a return offer and getting a return offer in a big company that has so many processes seemed hard to me. What is a so, return offer? Like when you do an internship and then oh, they tell you, well, come back as a junior engineer. Yeah. So it seemed easier for me to get a return offer from a smaller company. Um, so from then on, I just put the work, I researched all these companies and, and then, yeah. And then I interviewed now for Rome. I got in as an intern and then 
then on I moved up the ranks which I admit quite a bit fast but yeah um, I think the, the best thing that happened to me was that getting into that internship um, my advice to most people is yeah you can create a list like that companies that you want to work for um, uh, read about them make sure you can grab any opportunity that arises from them um, and just like a lot of people think that these things will get you a job um, again we're in a science podcast so I can speak about statistics so statistically they just increase your chances of getting a job they, not, they do not necessarily get you um, a job so do not despair uh, whatever happens, life for me is a game of probability. So I cannot assure you that next year I will still be in Rome. I can just increase my chances of being at Rome or, or things like that. Anything can, can happen, but what we do increase our chances. Yeah, so statistics. Uh, so like math and probability that's all we can hope for to increase our probabilities of success we need to do some things but these things are not sure bet and say that yeah and uh, I was going I was, I was going to ask um if someone could be listening and they think yes I know the company I want to work for I have read about it I even interned there but like yeah nothing came of it um, so how, how do you move from being prospective to someone who's almost guaranteed to get a return over? Speak to your manager a lot. Um, have frequent one-on-ones with your manager or request for them. Um, managers know what you have and what you are lacking. And the more feedback you have, the more you can get what you are lacking. A lot of the times, these managers do not offer this feedback and they don't even look to offer this feedback. They're not actively saying, uh, um, okay, so these are, your pro these are your issues and these are not your issues. But if you ask them for, for feedback, they will be forced to actually think about how good of an employee you are and what value you're adding to the company and give you good feedback which then increases your chances of getting a return offer essentially managers know what talent they're looking for and if they give you feedback then you can become that talent that they're looking for okay that's actually good advice i've had someone say for you to speak to your manager most of the time people will be like speak to the grassroots people they're the ones who know what the workplace is like but then if you think about it, yes, managers are the ones who do the hiring. So Yeah. That's a good that's a that's something to keep in mind. But now that you're in the automotive industry, is that what they call it? Automotive. <laughs> yeah. Motive yeah. industry. Yeah. And you say, well, say okay, at least yeah, I have seen like one, two, three electric buses right now. Yeah. In Kenya, at least I have used one. 
what, what are some yeah. of the exciting things that we can look forward to, not just as Kenyans or Africans, but within the entire automotive industry? Um, I'll just speak with regards to electrification. So one thing that we are looking at is massive saving in cost. Um, people can save up to 50% of their running costs depending on their current setup and other factors. But electrification can save up to 50% mm-hmm. of running costs. Are actually electric vehicles in Kenya cheaper than diesel or petroleum run vehicles? Yes. Yeah. Uh, to run them, of course, to buy them, the purchasing is a bit higher. But electricity in Kenya to run a vehicle is cheaper than using fuel. So yes, they are cheaper. So I do not have the exact math, but it's cheaper by up to 50%. Again, depending on your current setup, uh, a lot of a few other things. So we expect to see a lot of that. One thing that I'm also really waiting to see regards to electrification is cleaner air so one of the major pollutants in the species that we live in are automobiles and the reason for this is most industries have these huge massive smokestacks so even if they are polluting are polluting not within the biosphere right so it's above the biosphere where we have living things when you're Entering a matatu, that matatu is like just polluting the air close to you. When you are driving your car, that car is polluting just the air close to you. So, and you find that most uh, power generation plants or smokestacks from industries are actually outside towns. So, when they're polluting, they're polluting spaces that we barely live in. Um, vehicle to do pollute the spaces that we live in. Um, so I'm really, I really want to see how EVs will shape the air in our cities. This is like Nairobi, because I really think there's a huge potential for EVs to clean our air. Yeah, there, there is indeed a lot of pollution in Nairobi. And if, of course, any solution to have less pollution would be very welcome I'm, I'm sure even not just by scientists but also residents around i wonder uh, of course the biggest thing right now on the news or in anything it's usually mental health but like as an engineer and a senior one at that in a good company like rome how like, how do you maintain a good work-life balance so that your mental health is in check? I think one of the things I do is that I leave my work laptop at work. Helps have a very good boundary between work and life. And the weekend is for family and friends and activities that bring me joy that are not work-related. Such as? I love hiking a lot. Uh, yeah, I hike a lot. I think my last hike was two weeks ago. Ah, where? Um, I did Elephant Hills and Mount Kinangop. 
Oh my gosh. I climbed a mountain and I almost died. I've never been back since. <laughs> I, I shot mountain, Mount Longonot. Ah. You should probably try elephant hills one day. Okay, maybe you shouldn't, but still. Um, you know. I hear a lot of good adventures about it. Like people who've gone there, but I also hear it's very, it's a more treacherous path than Mount Longonot, at least because now you need a lot of gear as opposed to the drier side of the But yeah, yes. why not? Best little hiking, um, leaving work at work. What else? Um, sometimes, uh, life come and go and in, in some sort of seasons and i feel like sometimes you need to be able to know what season you're in and adapt accordingly and by what i mean by season is that sometimes work will require more of you and sometimes family and life will require more of you if you're planning your wedding for example if you go easy on work, it's fine. And if you are just getting into a new role in your career, maybe you've been promoted to manager or something, spending a few more hours in work is also fine. So you need to be able to know what kind of season you are in and also adapt accordingly. And just the ebbs and flows of life, right? Um, something may happen to a family member and then you are required to step up. So um, your work life um, goes down a bit. And hopefully also just uh, praying for understanding supervisors and all that. Because I know sometimes you might want to, you know, practice that, that this is the season for this, this is the season for this. But then if you're not in a healthy work environment that also recognizes that, and the pressure is still the same regardless. It's a bit difficult for it to be realistic. But then also being yeah. able to be cognizant of the kind of work environment you're in. So that you can check if it's not healthy for you. Yeah. And then it's it's very complicated. But then if you tell someone you should leave if it's toxic. But then that's the work that brings in the money. The, there's a lot of dynamic there. Yeah. Oh, you asked what I do over on my free time. Um, sometimes I just read about science findings. I read about numbers. I read about how the world works. I like figuring out how the world works. I mean, I do it as a career. So that part, that side is my career. But then, and if I'm if I'm reading something. Like things like the Sorites paradox, it's a more of a philosophical paradox of when a group stops being a group. Yeah, so I also read stuff like that. It's fun. I bet it is. Just because I've never read numbers except pi. You've never read? Anything about number? Okay, well, except math, but like the numbers are still... The purity. I mean... It's just, okay. just about numbers, uh, right? Uh, yeah, but I do not like statistics myself. Why? 
uh, I just I don't like the interpretation of it. I don't like understanding all the laws that govern different statistics things. Yeah, to me it's it's a bit okay. It's, I just don't enjoy it, but I'm sure there are people who love it. Yeah, it's just not my cup of tea. Yeah. Okay, and as we wind down, uh, if there's someone who's looking to walk in your footsteps, what is one piece of, of advice that you'd give them, knowing what you know now? Um, your chances to make it in engineering um, in life is directly proportionate to the number of chances that you get. So, especially if you are in campus, you have a lot of opportunity to take a lot of chances, going for internships, going for attachments, um, going for club meetings, networking and all that. And the more you do this thing, the more likely that you will get a job in a company that you want to. Sometimes the people who can recommend you to the people who are employing you are the people who are, I don't know, going to the Society of Engineering students right now, right? Because they have fifth years or fourth years and you're first year. And if they know you by the time they are working in a company, these are the same people that can recommend you. So put yourself out there, see what the world has to offer. Um, be open to experiences and don't necessarily take a closed path to things. I'm looking at my class and people went very varying way, which is okay. Everyone is living a very good life. People are enjoying the kind of work they do, but these are people who never kind of um, hide themselves to a certain path. You know, they, they never said, I have to be an engineer in Safaricom or I have to be an engineer in X company and or I won't be happy. So, yeah, so be open to experiences, see what the world has to offer. Do go to as many events and sessions as you can just to see what people are thinking and to network. Also, yeah. that, that just reminds me, there's, there's this um, acquaintance who did telecommunications engineering, I guess. Yeah, not I guess, I know. Um, but there's also been, he's been part of the uproar that's on Twitter about engineering in Kenya. And I think the hashtag was engineering is dead or something. Uh, do not encourage your children to do engineering. Uh, no one is taught fresh concepts everybody starts things there from the 1950s i think that that was the whole gist of that twitter and do, do you well, believe engineering is dead um physics is taught concept from the 1700s right the newton's laws of motions um and most of the fundamentals for engineering and I'll go with electrical electronics engineering. Most of the fundamentals was established in the 60s and 70s. 
not for electrical sorry for electronics engineering most of the fundamentals was established in the 60s and 70s in bell labs um and they developed the transistor and um intel with the intel 8086 processor mm-hmm. so i believe we need to create more opportunity in kenya for hardware engineers and by hardware engineers i mean uh, mainly electrical electronic engineers and mechanical engineers who actually develop these systems from scratch um so i do not think that these concepts kind of need an updating maybe the way of teaching might need an updating but the concepts do not change a transistor will always be a transistor a processor will always be a processor i feel like maybe we need to revamp how we do our masters in kenya because this is the level at which i see us going more in depth into into concepts that are more recent right so for an electrical engineer if they want to go into artificial intelligence or edge processing or things like that i would think it would be a good idea to do that as a must but um so why then why do people think that engineering is dying in kenya well first of all i think engineering is getting better in kenya rather than dying but it's because it's very 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 difficult and very 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 expensive to design the kind of engineering systems that we design and it's almost impossible to compete with companies like china okay so i was watching an interview with alpay the ceo of a mobile company called nothing I mean, I've created the Nothing Phone One, which coincidentally I'm using, and also the Nothing Phone Two, which was released recently. Where is it? Well, Nothing. The idea is to have um, technology blend seamlessly into life, that it becomes nothing. Oh, you? Yeah. Um. So you were saying that to create a mobile phone. uh this the processes that you have to go through you need to the tune of 150 to 200 million US dollars just so that you can have a phone because you need to design it you need to um order parts and you're ordering parts in bulk some of these parts needs to be customized and 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 all that uh so it, it it starts getting really expensive really fast when you're doing hardware design hardware engineering and this is what you're seeing as the consequence of that right countries that or people that have scale essentially countries that have scale like china can sink millions or even billions into r&d also countries like the us can sink millions and billions into r&d but for a country like Kenya who cannot afford to sink that much yeah money into R&D then we have a situation in which people would would just rather import than spend a few million a few hundred million dollars 
to um, invest in the R&D. It's some market dynamics, right? So China, China as a market is a really, really good place to start. Also the US as a market is a really, really good place to start because immediately you start, you have a billion people in China and 300 million in the US, you have access to that kind of market. And so for scaling, it's much easier than in Kenya, where you have 50 million people. And if you go to Uganda, there's an entire legal and geographical and market dynamics that you have to understand just to access another 30 million customers. So I think those issues combined make engineering a bit more lax in countries like Kenya. Uh, we, we're always working hard to not only globalize. One, one thing that I know is that work is global, right? So the goal should be to work in engineering, not work in engineering in Kenya. So there's, there's opportunities all over the globe. And that also assists us to develop our, because most people who go abroad just end up coming back. So also assist us to develop our talent. My advice to people, if you want to do engineering, uh, do it because you like it and don't do it for the money. Most people think engineering, okay, engineering can get you a lot of money, but it's a catch-22 kind of situation. Engineering is not guaranteed to get you a lot of money. But the more you like engineering, the more likely you are to do it because you like it. Appears funny and otherwise That closely translates to don't do it because of the villagers back home. You you will be shocked yourself. I do love the, the two things you say. Do it because you love it, not because of what it might bring for you because of what I think the contribution you want to make to the field and also work is global you're not studying to become an engineer in Kenya you're just studying to be an engineer who can work anywhere I really love those two films yeah I, I guess that's it but there's the focus also on passing exams and all that focus on understanding the concepts and I'll say this it will help a lot. Like many people say, you just learn stuff and all that mathematics and then where will you apply it? Yeah. But I remember one day I was doing a Fourier transform because some electromagnetic interference was, was ruining my circuit somewhere. I felt like crying on that day. But anyway, uh, really enough, I never found that interference. Perhaps Fourier transform was not the right thing to use. But it helps you understand um, so much. Um, these concepts that we learn in engineering schools, they're not just pulled out of the sky, right? They come from real life engineering application. And it's important to learn them. But more importantly, it, I think it's a very good idea to know how you can um, your, your podcast is called Science in Life. It's more important to know how you can apply this in real life, which is maybe something that our schools are failing at, right? You do so much mathematics, 
um and your exam even is focused on just the math of a concept yeah but there's not even one question asking you okay so how do you think an engineer at i don't know in your power uses we are transform right there's no there's no that link between um the theory and the practical and most of the times as an engineer you have to figure all that out yourself yeah and i think that's yeah. a general that's a general education thing at least here in this country i don't know if cbc is going to change anything i think the kind of conditioning we've also been put through uh all the way from primary school you're just doing the math to do the math all the way all the way to campus i remember there's a lecturer who tried to like ask real world questions for, for us who are doing at least medical biochemistry and they would give you real hospital scenarios and i remember people really hated his subject for some reason they just wanted to run you know parts of a cell this is what happens when the endocrine system breaks down but like it's good when you have uh, lecturers that also you know give you real world scenarios a woman walked in she's complaining of the symptoms so you as someone who's learned in this field what do you think i think the same with engineering as you see it if you're learning all this math then how do you apply it to real world scenarios and i hope in yeah. the yeah in the near future hopefully this this will be things that will be integrated into the education system was ground ritually Yeah. yeah but um yeah so this that's exactly what we're saying obviously these lecturers will reach a point in which they sort of taper off right you cannot just be teaching people all real um scenarios without them understanding the, the basics so at, at one point they'll have to focus more on the basics um but yeah um the real world situations need to be taught to some extent but the thing about them is they are complex they're not straightforward they present themselves in very very different ways and as an engineer you need to interpret these ways and people don't like that that's why you're saying maybe people do not like that unit because the real world is messy it's complex it's not straightforward it's not as i was i've been talking about increasing your probability a lot and there's a reason why i use that term it's because the real world again as i'm saying is messy and complex you can increase your probabilities of something happening but you can barely ever guarantee that it will happen and the thing with engineering um as it's messy and complex it's just easier to go back to theory because then you yeah. don't have to deal with it. it's it's it, the this great physics things right we, mm-hmm. we keep ignoring air resistance you know ignore air resistance But in the real world you you can't ignore air resistance it it makes at higher speeds it makes like 80% of your energy consumption drug drug is bad really really bad um okay depending on of course your drug coefficient but yeah, yeah so the the ideal world of just math is much simpler 
And for engineers, it's the ideal world of math without focusing on humans because humans are also messy. Like I, I keep giving this example at work. There's this story I keep telling of the car that was allergic to ice cream. I don't know if you've heard of the story. No, I haven't. Um, so essentially it explains how, like you are saying that you're talking about how someone presented with certain symptoms, mm-hmm. but sometimes people do not present with the mm. symptoms that tell you, right? They tell you something totally different. So it's a story about this guy who said his car is allergic to ice cream and emailed the CEO of the motor company. And so he said, I know this sounds funny and this is the second email I'm writing to you. But every day after dinner, my family decides on what ice cream to get. And once we decide, I take the car and go buy the ice cream from the supermarket. So anytime that the family selects vanilla ice cream, I go to the the supermarket and pick vanilla ice cream. And when I come back to the car, the car does not start. Anytime it's any other flavor of the ice cream, the car starts. So then um, they send over an engineer who's perplexed, but says, okay, let's just go see what's happening. Um, They go first day, get vanilla ice cream, and sure as the man said, the car does not start. Next day, they get uh, another flavor of ice cream, and the car starts. And so then the engineer starts taking his notes. He's also perplexed. Starts taking his notes and he realizes that that specific store that this man goes to puts vanilla ice cream at the front. And the man just needs to get out of his car, go to the cashier, pick the ice cream and go back to the car. But all the other ice creams are way to the back. Right? They're very, very far from the parking lot. So it takes him quite some time to get the ice cream. And when the car has not cooled enough and it just needs to go to the front and the car has not cooled enough, the car cannot start because it has a vapor lock. But when the vapor has time to cool, start. So this, the real world is messy, but even more so for us engineers, but also doctors, the symptoms of things that are presented are usually really, really unique will come to you and tell you my battery, for example, is not working. But in reality, the battery is fine. It's the charger that's unable to charge the battery. Or they'll come and tell you my bike is disabled or my bike is, my controller is faulty or my anything, essentially. Someone will come and tell you it's just like in home fiber, someone will tell you that I do not have internet. And then you go and you find out, well, they've not really connected the router or they've not correct connected the LAN properly or they cut it, their cable, things like that. So as an engineer, um, that part is messy and you just need to be able to know what questions to ask the customer, all that. It's very hard to teach that in school. No, I really enjoyed uh, that story about the 
the car thing because honestly you tell a, a normal African not the one who's like just a normal one you know they will not believe it's the thing with the car and the cooling system and all that they'll just be like uh-uh. there's something with a store or <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but there's a scientific reason for stuff I think I, I also like the way you see it. the world is messy. All the concepts we learn in school uh, and you come to the chaos of the world, you also need to know how to navigate things. And so it's not enough to just be in school crunching up the numbers. It's good to also keep yourself updated with the field that you're in, know the things that people are doing out there. Hence the things you see in go to attachments, speak to people, network volunteer in clubs, societies. Um, that's when you actually get to speak with people who are on the ground and maybe get to also get some experience on the same. Yeah. So I think that's a very good note to end the episode on. What do you think? I like speaking about uh, science and sometimes math so I can go on. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Whatever you say, I think goods. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for featuring on my podcast. Um, I think there's a lot of gems you've dropped in there that anyone who's listening, if you've listened this far, you know. Uh, but a very practical and very good advice for people who are coming up in the field of not only engineering, but sense generally or STEM generally. That's what I should say. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I think it was also my pleasure being hosted by you. Um, as I said, I'm passionate about science. I'm passionate about promoting the sciences in Kenya and just making sure we build the future that we want for our country together. Yeah.